0: Over the span of a long career, a photographer can be known for a particular subject, style, or story. It's the kind of association that when you see or hear about it, you immediately connect it with a particular name. Harvey Stein is a New York-based photographer who is known for his black-and-white street photography of New York City, especially the areas of Harlem and Coney Island. With an ultra-wide-angle lens on his Leica, he has created a personal vision of one of the most photographed cities in the world. But it's when a photographer takes on a different subject, using a different medium, that you come to understand the inherent talent of that person. Such as evidenced in Harvey's latest book, Then and There. Then and There is a collection of portraits made in the city of New Orleans during Mardi Gras in 1979. Using a Polaroid SX-70, Harvey produced portraits that are both timeless while being a reflection of the times in which they were created. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. But it's great to see you again and, and to, to, to talk to you
1: about the book. Yes. So you have some questions or do oh, I? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have the book, you look at it. Oh, yeah, it's uh, right here. <laughs> great, great,
0: Yeah, I've really enjoyed going through it. And uh, it's a kind of a departure from what I'm used to seeing when I look at your work. Well, absolutely. We could talk about that, I guess. if you... Yeah, because these images were, were made back in the uh, uh, late 70s.
1: It's part of the yeah. title. Originally, I thought it was 1981 or 82, and I had to research it. So, I went to the Mardi Gras for a couple of years, and uh, at that time, mid seventies to the late seventies, early eighties, I did have a. I had several Polaroid SX seventy cameras. Yes, yeah, uh, nice. they were they were very popular. Well, they came out I think in seventy two, seventy three. And then Lucas Samaras, who I'm a big fan of anyway, his art uh, started shooting with a Polaroid SX-70, and he he began to manipulate he found a way to manipulate the 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 the, the prints that came out after yeah. about a minute. He would take a stylus or a pen that didn't write anymore and move the emulsion around. The emulsion at that time was very soft, and for about a uh, 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 24 hours after the photograph was taken, you could pretty easily squish around the the emulsion and change the look of the photograph. And he was an artist and, and a kind of a and very creative and a master at it. So he was very influential in publicizing the uh, camera and having serious photographers regarded as maybe something they should look at. So I bought one and I, I I played around with the emulsion many times and I guess I decided to take it down to the Mardi Gras with me. Uh my major reason for going was to photograph the Mardi Gras with my Leica. I had I had two M4s at the time and I still do. When Twilight came, I had Probably, I was shooting at 100 ISO. It was getting dark, and I used, I took out the Polaroid, put the uh, Leicas away, and started shooting with a flash bar on the top of the camera. It took a flash bar with five sh- with five flash cubes on it, and started shooting five or ten. Maybe you could reverse it, uh, and started shooting at twilight always interested in photographing people, and so I was fascinated by the faces that these people would put on themselves, whether by painting them or using masks or a combination. And everyone was very approachable, and I started in the evenings using the Polaroid with the flash, and I shot probably 60, 70, 80 photographs. It wasn't my main thing, and I came home and looked at them and blah blah blah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything with them. Put them in a box, a Polaroid box that the film came in, and put them aside. I knew I had them, and I kind of knew where they were. And I met Andrew Fadnick. I don't. Do you know Andrew? Have you ever met? No, him? I've not met him. Okay, so I. I well, this is a long, not a long, shouldn't be a long story. Um, I met him at APAD. I think it was the pier in New York. It was a photo, uh, not photo fest. <laughs> it, was, it was photo. Photoville? No, it was, it happens every April. It, this year, uh, it, it's photo. Uh, I, I'll get it for you. It was photo. It was Paris photo, New York. So oh, I met okay. him at this big, uh, you know, pho- photography event and gathering where they have a lot of merchandise and selling equipment and doing um, doing presentations to sell product and they have they have for the last few years at the pier, it's at the pier on the Hudson River and they have a section small section of book publishers there uh, as a sort of a small wing of of this event and there's tables and book presentations so a lot of the publishers are there selling their books, and I came to a table where and I'm looking at a lot of tables and looking at books, and I'm buying a few books. so I stopped at Zatara Press's table. This is Andrew Fadnik, F A F E D Y N A K. And still, I'm not to this day. I, I don't know how to pronounce it quite right. So he's sitting there and I introduced myself. He knew me. He knew of me. He went to ICP where I teach through the the graduate program. I'd never met him there or knew him, but uh, we talked. And he asked me, do you have anything salted away that would be surprising uh, for people to know that you did it? given that i'm pretty well known as a street photographer and a black mm-hmm. and white photographer and I, at that point i had done seven books and i was uh, i guess my mexico book came out that fall so that was the eighth book and i said yeah I, I i do i have you know i have a lot of polaroids that i've never shown color sx70 and in particular i have a series of faces close up shot at twilight with a flash you know i've never shown it and it's put away and i guess i could find it so andrew said yeah i'd like to see it he's located in richmond virginia maybe a month or two later this is april 19 um, 2018 so maybe in may or june he came up to my apartment my my so-called studio really my office And I showed him the work. We spent a couple hours discussing it, and he said, I'd like to publish it. So to me, I didn't see it as a book. I didn't regard it necessarily as a book. uh, Zatara Press is a small press. They do limited editions. He's been in business since 2014, and he's done about – this, I think, is his 13th book, Lucky 13 – And I wasn't aware of him. And I'm not aware, and I wasn't aware really of the small press publishing market. So I educated myself a little. I liked him. And we signed a contract. And a year and a half later, we had the book ready to show at the same event two years later, 2020, on April 1st. But, of course, it was canceled. I had a talk lined up and a book signing lined up. It was canceled. Yeah. So we said, this is not a good time to put out the book. Let's wait till the fall. The book was already printed in Spain and sent to Andrew. So he had all of these books in his storage area in Richmond. They're sitting there. And we said, well, let's, let's try to uh, introduce it uh, October 1st. And that's what we did. It's it's a fascinating
0: book because Mardi Gras is an oft often photographed event yes. for obvious reasons. It's so colorful and different. the yes. kind of, you know, characters and people acting out. Uh, but these these photographs really provide a very different take. And it's not just that's, that they're portraits and then they're made on, on Polaroids, but they have the context of being a different time and yet still
1: being quite. Uh, ageless at the same at the same time. I agree. Uh, you know, I did photograph with my Leicas, black and white film, kind of like everyone else has, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to say a little bit differently because of my vision and my uh, style, but these are wildly uh, different from what I've done and what from anyone else's done with mardi gras and i say it could have been done last week or this it could yeah. have been in 2020 mardi gras which by the way was held uh if you might recall it, it happened in in march just before the big shutdown i think it happened mm. the second week first or second week and there was a it was a big uh, hot spot for the virus to spread and we didn't know so much about it then. So I agree. I, I, I really one reason I love it or like it a lot is that it it could have been done. It could have been done anywhere at any big. Uh, it could have been done Halloween, I suppose, yeah. in a southern city. It could have been done this year or two years ago or, or or 1979. You know, I just I love masks. I've always been intrigued by masks, and and then the other irony, I suppose, is. We're we're living with masks since March, or most of us are the smart people that want to <laughs> oh, survive. Survive yeah. this, so and I'm working now in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side, photographing people dealing with the virus 2020 for the last seven months. I want to photograph the people in masks. I mean, this is intriguing to me, the mystery of masks, the the uh, trans uh, translation of who you might be, a change of your identity, a face painting, masks. Mm-hmm. You become another soul. You become another person. Um, so that always, and I always liked that. I went to Mexico for many years photographing and one reason why I love the Mexico culture is their um fascination and use of masks in their rituals and in their in their history I guess this at uh, the the Mayans and uh, zotecs all use masks in their rituals so it, it's a continuing fascination. the fact that it's Mardi Gras is probably maybe only important because it was where it happened and allowed me to access this kind of subject matter i took away from it which i don't think i'd ever really considered uh was largely
0: inspired by the fact that they were portraits okay and as i looked at each face i started thinking about how each of these people decided to interpret themselves for this event And you're trying to imagine who they were in the real world, because some of them could have been buskers or attorneys or policemen, or, you know, they could be anybody, but when they put on this face painter and they put on these masks, they become someone else. And it was really interesting by just taking in the face and the direct eye contact that they had with you as the photographer, Mm -hmm. it really brought up the question of why this look? Why did they feel that... This is the way that they wanted to, to express themselves, and right. of course, it's a question that can't be answered. But it is definitely a question that came up for me that that when people decide to, you know, put on these masks in whatever form that that they do, that part of it is is sort of a an interesting extension of themselves that they normally wouldn't reveal, and yet they do in in ironically, in, in, they do ironically by, you know not disguising themselves, but actually revealing themselves in a kind
1: of interesting way. Yeah, I think they want, you know, there's, I, did you read the uh, essay, Bertrand? Yeah, it's a great essay, yeah. She, I had to tone it down. She's so uh, academic. I mean, she, she used words I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was very uh, beautifully written, and she was, she was, she, She's a great writer and a scholar, actually. I didn't want it to be so academic that people would get lost or, or couldn't read it. And I think she talks about the, the transformation that we undergo when we're wearing masks. We could become anybody, we can get out of our humdrum life into being a superhero or just uh, anyone who we always wanted to be. But beyond that, these are homemade masks. I think most of the yeah. images in the book are face painted masks that are created by the individual. I don't know that they put on the paint themselves. maybe mm-hmm. they did in a mirror using a mirror or they guided some someone to uh, as to how to do it, apply the, the paint or the makeup. Everyone is so original and, and beautiful and I guess if I had time, or if I knew that this would be a book someday, I could have tried to interview the people for their motivations and really interview, ask them who they are or what they do, ask them some biographical uh, information. I'm doing that now with my uh, Instagram posts. I'm photographing people on the street with the uh, cell phone camera, my iPhone. Oh, okay. I don't know if you're uh, aware of my posts, and I'm writing stories about each person, and I'm staying with them for five or ten minutes to try to get some information, and then writing stories. So, I've always been intrigued by by us, by people. I'm I've always considered myself a people photographer, a person photographer, and I always want to get close. I'm using with my film cameras. I don't, of the time, a a 21-millimeter lens. Yeah, yeah. And I'm getting close. Now, that's a particular difficulty now with uh, the virus. I kind of violate that a little bit, but I am trying to stay a little bit further away. Um, So for me, using the SX-70 and focusing it close and getting close was really an extension of what I've always wanted to do, Even in 1979, I was doing it. I started photographing in 1970, 1971. Even that early in my career, six, seven, eight years into it, I I, am drawn to people. And I guess I know what I want. It's straightforward, eye contact, one-on-one usually. And that's how I I often shoot uh, with film. And getting close and wide angle. I think the the lens on the SX seventy is a forty millimeter or thirty eight. You yeah, think 40, you're right, mm-hmm. as I recall. I'm dragging that up. And I'm always curious about people and who they are and what they do and why are they Why are they painting themselves this way? And did they do that last year? And are they going to do it next year? Is this a constant disguise? or you know, mask, and do they even consider it masks? Maybe it's a joy, it's just a celebration and a performance. Maybe some of these people are actors or uh, would-be actors or want to actively display themselves. We, we're we a society of performers, I think. Laura, uh, oh, most definitely. On yeah. the streets. And particularly now with the iPhone, with all the selfies that people are doing, I mean Susan Sontag said it correctly in the seventies in her book on photography, that the the trouble one trouble that she saw with photography was that we go to the Eiffel Tower and photograph ourselves in front of it and don't regard the tower or or consider what it really is or what it's about. Or we go to a, a tourist site, the Grand Canyon or wherever and it solely for a picture of ourselves in front of the place and saying we were there. And now the selfie indulges all of us into or encourages all of us doing it. So, because it's so damn easy to do.
0: When, when you approach people now and you're using your cell phone, as opposed to the SX 70 that you did back in the, in the seventies and early eighties, do you see that people are responding to you as a photographer differently as a result of what you just talked about in terms of this, sort of selfie culture. Do you see a difference?
1: You know, I'm never refused when I ask to photograph someone with a cell phone. I am refused when I, I ask them to to f- be photographed with either my Leica or, or I have a, a 5d Mark two Canon camera, which is a big monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are used to cell phones. They have one. They photograph with it. They photograph themselves with it. I'm sure. And I, Thinking about it, I've never, ever, maybe once or twice been refused, but I'm often refused with a a regular camera. And as small as the Leica M4s or M6s are, I'm still refused with that also. So, yeah, that is interesting. And the connection between the iPhone and the SX70, another connection that I see is that they're both instant. So with the... Um polaroid if it did take about a minute to process once once it was the the print was spit out of the camera it's not 100 percent instant and i would stand there with the the person i photographed and we'd look at it and i would say do you like it or can i do it again with a little difference and as i recall most people said yes and i would i would be happy to photograph a second shot and give it to them, mm-hmm. although it did t- slow me down. It, to me, it was a slow camera, but it was immediate. I mean, it w- you could see it. The same thing with the uh, iPhone. You can shoot and show them on the iPhone. And I guess with a digital camera, you can also do that and sh- show from the back of the camera. But the iPhone, my, my iPhone image is much larger than the image on the back of my uh, 5D uh, digital camera. So I can share it with them, and we could work to make even a better photograph if they're willing. I don't do that a lot, but that can happen, and I've done it somewhat.
0: Yeah, and it seems like that's, you know, I was wondering about how the the type of camera you use inevitably changes the way you photograph you see a scene and engage with your subject, right. and by using either your, your your cell phone or the SX70, it really provides for a level of engagement that you normally might not have when you're using the Leica on that wide-angle lens.
1: Right. I'm not real interested in sharing my work with people as I'm shooting; uh, it slows me down. I want to move on, but sometimes the interaction is nice and fun, and. It allows me, on the iPhone in particular, it allows me to say, I could send you a picture. Give me your email, and I'll mm-hmm. send you a picture. And I do it a lot. I never would do that with the Leica. I mean, I, I might be two years behind in developing the film. <laughs> I, mean, I, wouldn't know, I wouldn't know who these, these people are anymore, you know, or I'd take down their address. I'd have to mail them a print. Forget it. That's that's impo- I mean, I, I'm I'm not geared that way, but with the iPhone, I feel more generous because I'm speaking to them and maybe spending more time with them. Also, with the uh, SX seventy, and I uh, it might m- allow me to be a little more uh, generous with with sending them something.
0: As you said before, you're largely known for your black and white work, but right the, the Polaroids and the and the phone involve color color and. And tell me about using color as another visual element in in your photographs
1: yeah um i i'd really regard myself as a black and white photographer i think black and white work is more personal colors more could be more pictorial or you you get lost in the color i see color but i don't I don't uh, get fascinated by it. I'm not, I I, I mean, yeah, sometimes I see color and I should take the picture because of the color. I think Mm -hmm. the color negates the subject matter or, 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 or competes with the subject matter. I want my subject to be primary and the black and white without the distraction of color, I think more readily allows that. Do I convert any of my color work my digital color work into black and white. I've done a little of that with the cell phone. It's real easy to do. I use uh, Snapseed to alter mm-hmm. the, the to fix quote unquote the cell phone image a little bit, um, but I don't do that much. So yeah, if the color is important and and adds to it rather than overwhelms the photograph, I will you I will be attracted to that scene maybe. I'm not a scene quote unquote photographer as much as an individual person photographer or maybe I'm doing I'm not candid, although my one of my books is just about all candid work, the briefly seen book from 2015, which is about. Midtown and the crowds in Midtown. I'm always looking for individuals to photograph. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes successfully, and sometimes not. Even with, even as I did with the SX70, as I do with the um, iPhone, and definitely as I do with the uh, with the Leicas and, and, and the Canon. I'm more into the person and the people and being close and interacting. I want them to acknowledge my presence as much as I'm acknowledging theirs. I want, I want to feel maybe a connection and I want to feel not anonymous and I want to feel like I'm alive and I'm on the street and not just disregarded as an anonymous person. I mean, that's inevitable with most people. I'm not interested in a a lengthy uh, discussion particularly, but with the iPhone maybe a little more than I have in the past.
0: Thank you so much to the many people who have reached out recently to demonstrate their support of the show. I know it's a difficult time for many, especially having to celebrate the holiday season in the midst of a pandemic. That's why it means so much to me that you've chosen to support the show through our Patreon effort. And if you've been thinking about it, but just haven't gotten around to it, today would be a great day to start. Your contribution goes a long way in helping us to meet the cost of production and makes this show that much easier to create each week. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Just $5 a month will make a huge difference for us. Thank you, as always, for your support. Because people are constantly looking at themselves in cell phones, I've seen... Probably no no in, in general, that people have tended to affect a, a pose mm-hmm. or a look,
1: mm-hmm. uh, a
0: persona sure. that they've learned to create as a result of photographing themselves right. all the time, and I'm usually averse to to that because I don't feel like it's it's genuine I agree, but when you are trying to photograph someone and they give you that that particular face or that particular pose. What what do you do so that you can get something more in the lines with what you would like to see?
1: Well, firstly, I don't want, I don't want people to smile in in my photographs if possible. So if they do, I let them. I take a photograph, and then I take a third photograph, and maybe a fifth photograph. And often I will say, okay. We did one of you smiling or a couple of you smiling. Could you be serious? My my way of working is to get them not to smile, have them not to smile, and look into the camera. So in most of the SX-70s, they're looking into the camera, and I'm directing that. I want them to be serious. I want to make a serious photograph. I think a smile is phony for the camera, and they're trying to put their best face forward. I think we look better not smiling. We're less wrinkled. We're less phony. So the way I get through, uh, to answer your question, I try to shoot through that and, and and have them do more than one or two and have them give me a, a strong look into the camera, and I, I will direct that. If they're posing, if they're putting their fingers up, I'll say, okay, good, but now just be yourself, just relax, relax. I don't even know if I say that. Just, just be yourself and look into the camera, and I'll do the rest. I was in China last year in 2019. Everyone smiled and put put up their fingers. It was it was mm-hmm. really hard. So in one way or another, I tried to direct them not to do it, but it was especially the young people there. They're all and they're so into their iPhones. It's an iPhone culture. And it's a Me Too culture, It's and it's a very commercial culture. I don't know if you've been there, but it is it is fascinating. And they all want to look good, and they all pose. It's true. Yeah, yeah. So I try to just work through that, and sometimes it, I can't. I can't get them not to smile. I can't get them not to pose, so I kind of give up and, and move on. Yeah.
0: When you revisited the, the Poloids after all this time, what new impressions did you have of the photographs that you likely didn't have
1: when you first took them and then you put them away? Mm, boy, that's a hard question to answer. Right? You know, we, we did edit them down. I mean, maybe I had 60 that I had in the pile. and They're now, in the book, there's 47 images. What I was struck with or by is how well they held up for one. I mean, these these Polaroids can fade very easily. These Mm -hmm. Polaroids are over 40 years old, and and none of them uh, have faded. The the sky blue can go to magenta, and then there's certain, it's a dye process, I believe, so that uh, some of the colors do fade. I just luckily had them in a box, in a drawer that was dark, i don't have a dehumidifier or anything like that and how uh well how brilliant the colors are still and and were in the initial shots i mean i remember shooting with the camera and every third photograph would be ruined it would the emulsion it wouldn't take or half the emulsion was off You get ten photographs in a package, and it was probably ten or twelve dollars then. So it wasn't inexpensive to do, but you know, it was it was a cool process because it was the first instant photography that I worked with. I don't know, was there any other instant photography ways of? No, I think that was the first. Uh, Heretofore, you had you did a roll of film, color slide. I had to take it to a lab. It. And it was a very intimate way of photographing. I, you could do nudes, you could do yourself, you could, you know, and not have a lab be the uh, intermediary of it. I mean, it was very private. And then I, being a street photographer, I wanted tr- to try to apply the camera to the street. It was bulky and hard to frame. The, the um, viewfinder it was a little odd. And uh, a little unwieldy, and it's clunky, but I work with it enough to manage to uh, work, I think, well with it. But slow, it, you know, you think, oh, this is fast. You get an instant photograph. No, you had to stop and wait for it to develop.
0: Did you try using it in the street like you did your your Leica just to see what you could create with, with the Polaroid as opposed to, you know, using film?
1: Well, I, I, these are all street photographs. No, know? I
0: mean other than portraits. In terms of oh. just creating the sort of the kind of scenes that you were yeah. normally. F-
1: well, it wasn't wide angle enough. I'm not. No, I probably didn't. I'd have to look. I did more like friends, lady friends, maybe. New some nudes. I did some landscape. I think I'd have mm-hmm. to. Look. Excuse me. I'd have to. I maybe take it to the park where I didn't have to rush things and maybe take more time. I mean, I'm sure. Surely, I took it to the street. I'd have to go back and look at at what I've done. I remember doing close-up things like a a shoe and a a leg with an interesting stocking and shoe a friend or something i photographed some artists with it uh in their studios uh, and with their canvases friends who were artists i remember that so i did explore with it and then i tried to figure out what i could manipulate with the stylus and push the stuff around the emulsion around i never was as good as samaris no one ever has been as good as samaris do you know his Some of his work. Yeah, I'm familiar with his work. Yeah, called "Photo Transformations." I have a signed Mm -hmm. copy of that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I photographed him for my artist book in 1970, no, 1982 or three or four. Yeah, Uh, I loved loved his work. He's always an inspiration. It's a great artist.
0: (laughs) you mentioned earlier that you're you're photographing currently during this during this time right tell me in terms of the accommodations you you've sort of made in terms of your approach because you said you like working close but because right. of covid and mask and social distancing you know it makes it a little more of a challenge to to do that it effectively is. so how are you working around that
1: well i'm still using the 21 millimeter exclusively I, sometimes i use the 35 now i'm being stubborn and using the 21 i'm interested in getting close but yet at the same time getting an environment i'm not doing just the face like a like the sx 70 Mm -hmm. i want the person's environment and i'm interested in my neighborhood where i've never photographed before so we're shut down in april here in new york city I'm sorry, March, uh, March fifteenth, or four, four, I think March fourteenth was the last time I went out. For two months, I didn't really go out much, or, or uh, oops, I would go to the uh, supermarket. I, there was a farmer's market, and I would take my, I would take the twenty-one with me and one camera, and I like the masks on the faces, and so I did approach people and maybe four feet instead of two and a half feet or three feet Mm -hmm. so i did stay away a little more but i i I keyed into the mask and i my i always go in talking to someone with a compliment or i try to i like your shirt i like your tattoo i like the light that's falling on you i'd like to make a photograph i would mention the mask and say wow i like your mask where where'd you get that i want to get one or you have a a uh, plastic face covering i want to get one uh, you know and so start a conversation and then oh i'd like to photograph it and make that the thing and it's not them it's about the mask and so i get them and the mask and the and the and and where they're located Uh, hopefully the light and the environment is of interest to me Sometimes I don't speak to the person and just shoot and go up to them and shoot and then speak. And sometimes I'll shoot us candidly. I mean I'll bring the camera up, but not really. Maybe it's maybe a more of a, a group scene of people. It's it's definitely prevented me from going out into New York, as I normally do, all the great events, the street events of New York City, have been cancelled since March. There's not the Macy Day parade. The Thanksgiving parade is canceled coming up. The Mermaid Parade was canceled. the Puerto Rican Parade that I go to the Israeli Parade. every weekend, there's three or four parades. Yeah, and I don't shoot the parade in the spring. I'm not shooting the parade. I'm going early. I'm photographing the people, the crowds, the people around. I'm shooting the periphery. So that's all gone. That, that I haven't done that uh, since the, the virus. I was fortunate enough on Saturday to be at Union Square Park, which is a, a meeting place for a lot of political rallies and stuff mm-hmm. in New York City. I was there when they announced that Biden won the won the election and the place erupted in joy and and the crowds just grew and grew and i was in my element photographing i just posted an image this morning from it on instagram uh i was in my element finally for the first time photographing a group of uh, a a, a mass a mass group of people Mm -hmm. that i find i enjoy and and get good work from Uh, but generally I've been slowed down. I've been home more. I've been working on two books, the, this book, and I have a new book coming out in 22, 2022, my third Coney Island book, so I've been working on that. It's all shot. I've gone to Coney Island during the, the virus three times. I didn't – usually I take a subway. I got a ride from a photo friend who I photographed with. We went together because I wouldn't take the subway. The subway's an hour and 15 minute ride. I didn't feel it was safe. So only recently have I started taking subways and buses to get outside of my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I wanted a photograph at Coney Island during the pandemic to get to show what's going on in this year. This is the 50th year. The book is called Coney Island People 50 Years. This is the 50th year. I've been photographing in Coney Island, and the book will be 50 years of photographing in Coney Island. I wanted to get this year as the last year. Even though it was shut down, people were on the boardwalk. And again, I keyed into their masks. So to answer your question again, the way it's affected me mostly is it's kept me in my neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. I mean, it's nothing much going on. It's a residential area. But there's two parks. There's Central Park on the Upper West Side. My neighborhood is the Upper West Side. And Riverside Park, which I'm a block away from. So I've shot people in the park and on Broadway and on the side streets. And I'm getting images that I really like. So we'll see what happens with that. I might already have 40 images that I like.
0: You said that uh sometimes it can take you a while before you actually get your film processed Absolutely. and you see the Absolutely. and then see the images uh how how long does that usually take and and what advantage do you think it gives you as opposed to getting stuff immediately
1: right so that's a very interesting question because for the first time in my career i'm Developing the film right after I am shooting it and making prints right after I'm shooting. So Mm -hmm. since March, I've shot on the Upper West Side maybe 30 times. I have a numbering system that I could track that. And I've developed mostly all of the film, and I'm a little behind in printing, but I'm making prints from the – I'm making contacts and then prints and I'm seeing what I'm getting, much like I would do with a digital camera. This is the yeah. first time I've ever done that. Typically, I'm four years behind in developing my film. Three, four years, hundreds and hundreds of roles. Um, I have, I have film from 2018 I haven't developed. I'm now up to 2018, which isn't bad. I have the time now to develop. And I am not photographing in the quantity that I'm used to photographing. Mm-hmm. I'm not making trips to China, to, to Vietnam, to India, and piling up 70 rolls of film in two weeks, not being home and not developing. So if I make three or four large trips like that in a year, I'm accumulating a lot of film that I can't keep up with in the development. I do four roles at a time, maybe every other day, every third day, every second day. Uh, And it's boring as hell. Now I have the time to catch up with my work. And secondly, I'm really excited about this new project because it's so historical. It's so current. It's so different. I really feel the weight of history. And I really feel that history will be looking at this for a long time and i want to show this this is never this hasn't happened in over 100 years will it ever happen again i hope not this pandemic and layered on that is trump and the way he has transformed our society and added to our anxiety and 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 um and the life that we're leaving, we're all anxious, and I, I want to pick up on that. I've done a few small demonstrations in my neighborhood, local demonstrations. Save the post office demonstration, an anti-Trump demonstration, maybe 100 people. It's very sweet, but but neighborhoody. In the past, I liked having time. Intercede between when I shot and when I made prints, like three or four years later, because I could be more objective in a way. Really? My great hero doing this is a Winogrand who died what 1984 or 87, and he left 2,500 rolls of film undeveloped, ninety thousand frames or so undeveloped or if developed, not contact sheeted. And I always like that. So I could be more objective being two or three or four years separated from when I photographed it. Did I like that? No. Did I do it consciously? No. I didn't plan on doing it. I just did I just couldn't keep up with it. And I develop my own film to this day. I have my own darkroom. I don't want anyone to make my prints, and I don't want anyone certainly to develop my film. Because they're not going to do it the way I do it. Not that I do it perfectly, but I have a consistent way of doing it. So, and it seems to work out all right. So, so it's a good question because, indeed, this is the first time I have really kept up with any black and white project. My book on Mexico, which we talked about two years ago, I shot it from 1993 to 2010. The book came out in 2018. Why so long? Because I didn't have the work. I didn't have it all developed until probably 2013 (laughs) or 14, and then finding a publisher and all that. I met Andrew in 2018. It took us two years to get this book together, the the SX-70 book. And you'll note, he designed the book. The the front cover and the back cover photographs are hand-tipped in, it's yeah yeah i noticed that hand. Huh. the proportions of the book are in relationship or in a ratio of the size of the actual polaroid the colors on the the front co- photograph the, the, the cover photograph are the of the man's shirt in the photograph are the colors of uh Mardi Gras and he uses those colors on the back cover with the stripes on the back cover. He's very fastidious. He's uh, he's a terrific designer and I let him have sway. Uh, we sequence we sequence the photographs together. I mean the process of making this book for me, was fascinating, and I was very involved in it. And we did it via Zoom, but elbow to elbow, really. Yeah. Yeah,
0: What's one of the things I like about the book is the
1: uh, attention to those slight details. It really makes it a little, yeah. That no one else cares about. All the dimensions, all the sizes, all, I mean, no one would notice, not many people would notice, but to him, it was really important, and I appreciate it. It didn't speed things up any. Uh, <laughs> and, and we had some issues with the publisher. I'm sorry, the printer, to get the gold leaf right and to layer mm-hmm. it, lay that lay it on. I think some of that was done by hand on the, on the cover and the back cover. You know, and it's a small book, and I and I'm saying, is this worth forty dollars? Even it's eighty eight pages. It's small. I think. I'm liking it more and more. I mean, it's so different. I, I'm having trouble coming to terms with it in a way, but I'm, I'm growing to really appreciate all that's in the book. So.
0: Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask yeah. each guest is yep. I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to, discover and explore on their own. It can be anybody. Okay. Um, Someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that that be in one? I
1: have someone that you definitely should interview. If you haven't already, I'm surprised they haven't told you about her. Her name is Margarita Mavro-Mikoulis. It's a mouthful, Margarita. Mm -hmm. She's a, a very fascinating person, fascinating photographer. She is from Greece, She's never lived in one place more than four years, Mm -hmm. from birth to to now. She's moved every four years. Uh, She's photographed from 1911 till now. She's won almost every prize in Europe. She just moved from London to back to Athens. She lives in Greece. And I think you should interview her. She's the best photographer I know. I mean, she's incredible. She's... She's in isolation. She's been quarantined in London, self quarantined, um, and now just moved. And she created a quarantine body of work, self portraiture body of work. Oh,
0: really? Okay.
1: Quarantine. But she's a great street photographer, fearless, fearless she did a great series on lesbos and the um, immigrants that came over by boat in in, in lesbos she, she and she's been interviewed some but um she's kind of shy she knows five languages she's she's amazing amazing person and she we've partnered in in a lot of workshops uh to india to vietnam to, uh, where else have we gone? Oh, God, I'm drawing blank. Oh, to Cambodia, Laos. So she's someone that should be on everyone's radar. Her Instagram feed is T-I-T-A underscore Mavro, and her last name is M-A-V-R-O-M-I-C-H-A-L-I-S, Mavro Mikolas. Her family liberated Greece, in 1820, from the uh, Turks. Uh, I think her great 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 uncle, uh, grandfather, was one of the first uh, premiers of Greece. And she's so nice. I mean, wow, she sounds she's a fascinating. Person. So I'm going to have her email you if I may. Is that that'd possible? be great?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay. (laughs) And Harvey, thank you again, and and congratulations on the new book. Thank you, and thank you. It's always wonderful to talk to you.
0: Thanks to Harvey for joining us. Find out more about Harvey and his work by visiting harveysteinphoto.com. And this year, I'll be involved with Photonola, which is an annual celebration of photography in New Orleans produced by the New Orleans Photo Alliance in partnership with museums, galleries, and alternative venues citywide. The 15th annual Photonola Festival is going to look a little different this year with a hybrid of online and physical elements. It will take place from December 9th through 12th, with a broad range of photography exhibitions on display both virtually and socially distanced, throughout the winter season. The lineup includes virtual portfolio reviews, workshops, lectures, and more. Many events are free and open to the public, and I'll be conducting an online workshop myself, and you can find out more about it by visiting photonola.org or check out the link in the show notes. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews allow us to grow. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort, or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Christy Hyam, Larry Gason, Dirk Benkert, Jane Duckett, Jeff Larison, Ruth Steinberg, Juddy Rook, and Diane Werr for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of eBooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you find you can't find every episode of the show, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.